You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Do you know your calcium score? Welcome to the Clinician Roundtable. I am Dr. Matthew Sorrentino from the section of cardiology at the University of Chicago Medical Center, your host today on Clinician Roundtable. With me today is Dr. Paolo Raji. He is the professor of medicine in cardiology at Emory University and also a professor of radiology at Emory University. Dr. Raji is an expert on detecting subclinical atherosclerosis, and we're going to talk to him today about calcium scoring and its utility in diagnosing patients. Thank you very much, Dr. Raji, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Well, I thought I would start first by asking you, what is EBCT? What does it stand for, and what actually does it do for a patient? EBCT stands for Electron Beam Computed Tomography. This is a technology that was developed in the early 80s on the West Coast in San Francisco, as a matter of fact. It is a fast computer imaging technology. At that time, the computer tomography scanners were too slow. And this technology was developed to accelerate the acquisition time so that you could image uh, a moving target such as the heart. Today, we have other types of scanners uh, that have mostly supplanted the ABCT. They are called multi-slice or multi-detector computer tomography scanners. So are they becoming more accurate in giving us calcium uh, volume or a calcium score in the coronary arteries? Not necessarily. I think that the accuracy has not improved. Uh, What has improved is the quality of the image. So what is the significance of having calcium show up in the coronary arteries for a patient? Calcium is an accurate marker of uh, atherosclerosis. For some reason that we don't quite understand, the atherosclerotic plaque evolves over time and accumulates uh, calcium in its contacts. So we have learned over time that the presence of calcium in a CT scanner or along the course of the coronary arteries is a good indicator of the presence of underlying atherosclerosis. Now, we do say that every time we see calcium, we know there is atherosclerosis. There is no false positive, essentially. The reverse is not necessarily true. Sometimes there may be atherosclerosis without visible calcium on a CT scanner, but those are very, very rare cases, less than 2%. So if calcium predicts atherosclerosis, how often are we seeing it in patients? Is the prevalence of uh, calcium uh, very high in the American population? It is pretty high. As a matter of fact, we conducted a study comparing a European population with a South American population in Brazil specifically and one in the United States. And the prevalence and the extent of calcification was higher in the United States, even in the presence of fewer risk factors in the American population. So that was kind of worrisome. It's a publication that is out there for consultation if you want to see it. However, the presence and the extent of calcification increases over time with age, and it increases with the number of risk factors that the person the individual person presents. So you mentioned that the calcium is a marker for atherosclerosis, but what about a marker for clinical events? If you have calcium, does that predict more heart attacks, more heart failure, more strokes? How how good of a predictor is it? And that has been a big source of animated debate uh, for the past many years and finally conclusive research has been published in the past 3 or 4 years that has demonstrated that the extent of calcification is directly proportional to the probability of an event. In other words, the larger the amount of calcium, the greater the probability of suffering one of the many cardiovascular events you mentioned, specifically cardiovascular death and myocardial infarctions and even strokes. It is obvious that the extent of atherosclerosis is proportional to the 
probability of an event. Now, what I want to make clear is that the presence of calcium does not condemn every one of those patients, condemn every one of those patients to an event so that we don't scare the, the audience here that everybody with calcium is going to have an event. I know that many of these scanning reports give you what's called a calcium score. It's usually a number. Is there a particular cutoff of numbers that you would become concerned about that the relative risk or the absolute risk is significantly increased? Yes, we've learned over time that the cutoff that we should really be concerned with is above 400. A cutoff of 400 or greater is what we all use as a very alarming number. Again, the relative risk increases over 400. And I want to make clear that the absolute risk, and let me clarify those two concepts, relative risk means a 50-year-old individual has a calcium score of 600 versus a 50-year-old individual who has a calcium score of 3 has a 15 times greater risk of having a heart attack or a sudden death in his whole lifetime compared to the person with calcium score of 3. But that doesn't mean that his absolute risk is 100%. That he's definitely going to have a heart attack or die or a cardiovascular event. His relative risk compared to a person without that much calcium is increased. So if you compare calcium scoring to a traditional way of looking at risk factors, for example, looking at a Framingham algorithm that puts traditional risk factors into a formula, how much incremental risk predictability does the calcium score offer on top of traditional risk factors? This, uh, Matthew, is the most appropriate question you uh, you should have asked, and uh, very important. We have looked at that for many, many years, and it wasn't until recently that we finally were able to answer that. Just to put it into perspective, all the traditional risk factors that we are considering today give us an approximate 70% ability to predict, approximate 70 to 80% ability to predict uh, an event. In other words, if you consider diabetes, hypertension, and smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity, you may be able to predict up to 70% of the event. Using imaging with CT for calcium, you increase that ability by another 10-15%. So there is an incremental ability to predict better who's going to have an event. However, the most important thing to remember is that CT calcium scoring should not be used for everyone. The best application of this technology is for those individuals that are in the intermediate risk by traditional risk factor categories. In other words, you certainly do not want to score or use CT scanning on a 29-year-old menstruating woman because that would be obviously an abuse of the technology and the yield would be extremely low. And again, you do not want to use a CT calcium scoring for a 75-year-old diabetic with claudication because we already know that this patient has extensive atherosclerosis. The best application would be for and I'm just uh, giving an example here, a 52-year-old male with mild systolic hypertension who has smoked for 10 years and quit last month. That is the intermediate risk patient that needs some clarification of his risk. You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals, and we're talking to Dr. Apollo Raji about calcium scores as a way of further assessing uh, risk for atherosclerotic events in patients. I just want to go a little bit further about the type of patient that you would use this technology for. Some patients are 
known to already have coronary disease. Is there any utility of using a calcium score to follow their progress or to see how they're responding to therapy? There have been several studies on uh, this particular issue. We haven't used uh, sequential CT scanning for calcium scoring in patients with established coronary disease, but we have taken asymptomatic individuals with coronary calcium and therefore with subclinical atherosclerosis and followed uh, their progress over time with and without medical management, specifically with or without therapy for lipids. And while a few studies have demonstrated that aggressive medical management can slow the progression of calcification, others have actually contradicted those findings. So if I have to be very honest, at the moment, we do not know that we can follow progression or calcification as a market of effectiveness or medical management. However, what we do know and what we have observed over and over is that if you do sequential imaging over time, over several years, and you see a fast progression as opposed to a leveling off of the progression, the fast progressor will have a greater risk, about a tenth-fold increased risk of an event compared to those who are leveling off or progressing very slowly. So just to clarify your point, if we aggressively treat a patient, let's say with lipid lowering, we've not been able to show a decrease in calcium scores at this point? We have not been able to show a slowing of the progression of calcium score. Yes, that's correct. Now, there's some data to suggest that calcium may actually be a sign of healing or stabilization of soft lipid-laden plaque. Is there anything we can get from these scans to show that the plaques that are developing are becoming more stable, or is the technology not good enough to really tell us the vulnerability of plaques? No, the technology, especially CT without injection or contrast, is not there yet. It does not tell you much about the non-calcified plaque, and it doesn't tell you much about the healing process of a plaque, unfortunately. However, what you just stated is extremely controversial. Some people do believe that calcification accrues over time as a sign of healing of prior non-calcified plaque. Others believe that you accrue more and more calcium over time because you develop more and more atherosclerosis and therefore you put in more and more calcium along the coronary tree. I think that both are probably partly correct. But what we have known now for the past 10 years is that extensive calcification in the coronary tree is not a sign of a stable and protected individual. Rather, extensive calcification is a marker of increased risk. So if you have a patient that you've obtained a calcium score on and you've decided then on some aggressive therapy, how much time would you wait in between doing another scan to see if we have reduced the progression? The consideration there has to do with, number one, radiation exposure. You certainly do not want to irradiate patients too often. And the second one is how accurate the tool is to detect small changes. I don't think that anybody would want to repeat the scan at less than a year or two, actually. We usually delay the second scan at least 18 to 24 months. And then finally, I know that a lot of the original data was in groups of men. Uh, Do we have similar data in women to show that the calcium score is predictive? And, And what women groups would you consider doing this scan for? The quality of the data on women is not as strong as that in men, and that's actually a very good question. The utility of calcium scoring in women, once the calcium is present, once the calcium is detected, uh, actually as good as in men. In other words, it's more difficult to find calcium in women than it is in men, 
a little bit because the atherosclerotic process is postponed by a good 10, 15 years in women compared to men. And also the accrual of calcium is smaller in women than it is in men. In the presence of calcium, however, women have as greater risk as that of men. Or what women to use this procedure on is a more difficult question to answer. I would think that I would not advise the imaging of a typical woman with intermediate risk until she has reached age 50 and has at least one other risk factor for coronary artery disease. Age limit may be lowered a good 10 years if a person has diabetes because we know that diabetes causes accelerated atherosclerosis and calcification accrual. Other than that, I think that it would be appropriate to postpone calcification detection to after age 50. I want to thank Dr. Paolo Raji, who has been our guest, and we have been discussing calcium scoring as a way of detecting early atherosclerosis. I am Dr. Matthew Sorrentino, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com, and thank you for listening.